0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. This morning we're going to continue talking about a subject that's really dear to my heart and that is faith because faith makes it all work and the title of my message this morning is focus the key to faith focus is the key to faith and so let's pray look to the lord father we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together this morning we know it's not just intellectually learned but Spiritually discerned and perceived and so we invite and ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide Anoint our ears to hear it accurately our hearts to receive it our minds to be open to it Change us by what we hear from glory to glory build within our spirits line upon line precept upon precept faith That will enable us to rise up and carry out the purpose of your will and do that Which is pleasing in your sight conform us to the very image of Jesus that we might become that for which he shed his blood and offered his life. Father, thank you for every heart that will be touched, every life that will be changed, every need that will be met. And as always, I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost. Think through my thoughts, speak through my lips, that I might communicate your will in a powerful and also productive way in each of our lives and challenge each and every one of us to rise up to a higher place in you. For all this will give you all the praise, honor, and glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. When Jesus was on earth, he was, without question, the will of God personified. Matter of fact, he so personified the will of God, he could actually say to Philip, Philip, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And what does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus was here on this earth representing the Father, the perfect image of who he was. And if we want to know the Father, All we have to do is go to the Gospels, look at the life of Jesus, and conclude that that is exactly what our Father is. He is someone who is loving, caring, compassionate, forgiving, merciful, and he cares about our well-being, each and every one of us, no matter who we are. As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, the 84th Psalm, verse 11, one of my favorite verses of many that I have, it says, For the Lord our God is a sun and shield who gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. What does that mean? God's not withholding anything. And Jesus personified that when he was here walking upon the earth. Think about the life that he lived. You go to Matthew's gospel, chapter four, verses 23, 24, 25, right there. Talks about when he got baptized, came out of the water. Had his 40 days that he fasted and prayed and was tempted to the devil. Then he went into Galilee and they brought every sick person in all the villages round about to Jesus and he healed them all. Think about that. He healed each and every one. And then as the word went out and fame, of course, went before him, they brought him all the sick people in every community round about. Can you imagine that? Especially what we're going through right now with COVID 19 and all that. Can you imagine if everybody that was ever. Uh, let's say, affected by it, Jesus is right there. Just go touch him and you're healed. That's exactly what he did in Galilee. And it didn't stop there. After he got done with his Sermon on the Mount, came down from the mountain, a leper came to him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will, and touched him. Leprosy was completely gone. Right after that, the Roman centurion came to him and said, My servant lied home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. I'll come and heal him. He said, no, you don't have to. I'm not worthy for you to come to my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And you know the story. The man's faith really pleased Jesus. He said, I've not found so great faith in all of Israel. Be it unto you, even as you've spoken. And his servant was healed. And then, of course, he turned water into wine. And then we know that he multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed the people. He had compassion because they were fainting by the wayside because they spent so much time with him. He was concerned about them. There was a funeral procession that was going on and he saw the widow woman with her only son gone. He stopped the procession, raised him from the dead, and gave him back to his mother. That is the heart of the father. It didn't matter what the need was. What about this one? He told a fish... To go fishing. So the fish went fishing and came back with a coin to pay taxes. Imagine how much wealth is out there in the oceans. The fish know exactly where it's at. He knows where it's at. His eyes on each and every coin. He sends a fish out to go, pay, bring it back to go pay taxes. When they toiled all night, fishing and didn't get one fish in their nets, he told Peter, cast you down, down your nets. Peter reluctantly cast down one net that net about broke he called for the other boats to come and fill them all up he does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think imagine that according to the power that's operative in our lives but my point is that's the heart of god that is what jesus is all about that is what the father's all about and look at acts chapter 10 and verse 38 if we if we're not convinced yet how god the father Anointed Jesus of Nazareth the Son with the Holy Ghost and with power. That's all three of the Godhead. Who went about doing what? Good and healing. How many? All that were oppressed of whom the devil. Why? For God was with him. And that sums it up right there. That's the heart of God. Well, here's my question to us this morning. Is he the same yesterday, today, forever, and always? Or has he changed I believe he's the same. Hebrews 13, 8 makes that very clear. He's the same today as he was then. Well, if he is, why is it that we don't see all those things happening that took place in the Gospels today in people's lives? Well, I believe I have an answer to that. He's not the one that's changed. Not at all. You think there might be something that we probably should focus on as far as we're concerned because you see, he's made it available to each and every one. Salvation is out there for all mankind. All a person has to do to be saved today is believe on Jesus and thou shalt be saved. So it's this thing called faith. We need faith to access everything that God has provided for us. If we don't use our faith to access it, it's not going to happen. If a person doesn't use their faith to be saved, they're not going to be saved. Now let me show you some scriptures Our focus, once again, is going to be on faith because focus is the key to faith, but we focus on the God who is behind the faith that we have. Our faith is in God. Remember, a person, not ourselves. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 2, for example, to show the importance and the value of our faith. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, meaning the Israelites of old. But the word preached did not profit or benefit them or do them any good. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For you bakers out there, when you put the ingredients in the bowl, you've got to mix it. If you don't mix it, it's not going to come out right. Well, the gospel message is the same message. It's a powerful message. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, Jew and Gentile alike. But the just shall live by faith means we've got to mix faith with it. It's already out there for us for the taking, but we receive it by faith. And so the gospel message benefits no one, even though it's available to all, unless they mix faith with it. Look at the next verse, Hebrews, once again, chapter 6 and verse 12, that you be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the gospel won't benefit us if we don't mix faith with it, we won't inherit the promises of God if we don't through faith and patience access them so you see obviously there's a part that we have to play in it there's a Godward side there's a manward side our part is to believe his part was to get the job done and he did our part is to believe look at chapter 10 and verse 38 of Hebrews as well now the just shall live how by faith But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The gospel doesn't benefit us. We don't inherit the promises of God. And now we can't live the way he wants us to live because the just shall live by faith. So we can't live how he wants us to live without faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, a very popular verse of scripture. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek. Seek what? Him. Not healing, the healer. Not prosperity, but the financier. Not protection, but the protector. In other words, he wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to love him. And faith is based on a love relationship. The Bible teaches us faith works by love. When you know someone loves you that much, you can be confident in them. You can trust them. We can trust the Father. Why? He has never lied. He has never failed to follow through on a promise ever in his entire existence. And he's the ancient of days, and so that's eternity. Never once. Then why is it so hard to believe? Look at another verse. Now, this, we skip over to James chapter 1. A couple of verses here. In the book of James... He's talking about, you need something from God, let him ask how? In faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let, now notice this, not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Wow. So now we see when it comes to receiving from God, we can't receive from God without unwavering faith in God. Well, how do we get that? unwavering faith in God by having a close intimate relationship with him knowing him as a loving caring compassionate heavenly father who has already done everything for us it's already been provided for us in the gospel we have a covenant with him and he wants us to believe in his integrity and when we do that that makes faith a whole lot easier so put that all together in a package what do we find out We find out the gospel doesn't benefit anybody without faith. We can't please God without faith. We can't receive from God without faith. We can't inherit the promises of God without faith. And there's so much more. Like even in 1 John we are told, what's the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. Our faith is in the works of Jesus. The finished works of Christ. Our faith is in a loving Heavenly Father has made provision for us in all aspects of our lives so if jesus walked on this earth and did all that he did including healing the sick and raising the dead setting the captives free and he's the same today if he hasn't changed we have a lot to do on our end to receive all that he has done for us so if we want the same things that took place back then it requires faith on our part and these are just but a few verses That revealed to us the importance of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Resist the devil with faith. Our faith is very important. To us and to God. He made it available to all of us. He gave us all the measure of faith. It's up to us to rise up and receive. All that he has provided for us by using our faith. Now, that being so important, it's easy to understand this. In the book of Luke, look at chapter 22. and these two verses and then I'll expound. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith... Notice, this is the prayer of Jesus for Peter. I have prayed for thee. For what, Peter? That the devil would leave him alone? For what, Peter? That your faith fail not. And then when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. Satan's coming to attack you, Peter, and he's targeting your faith because he knows your faith overcomes the world. He knows your faith makes the gospel a reality. He knows your faith pleases God. He knows that your faith enables you to inherit the promises of God. And so therefore, he's coming at you to target your life because you have access to faith. And I have prayed for you, Peter, not that the devil would leave you alone, but that your faith, fail not. I believe he's praying for all of us in the same manner. That our faith fail not. Why? Because it's so important. It's no different than having, for example, money in the realm in which we live. Without it, you're not going to buy a whole lot. When it comes to heavenly things, we're not going to receive a whole lot without exchanging our faith for what God has provided for us. And so it's important to realize that. Now, all that being said, I want to share with you, focus the key to our faith. And I want you to notice, first of all, some things that the enemy will use to hinder our faith. Number one, human reasoning. If you recall the story, uh, when the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, they were told to walk around the walls of Jericho. Human reasoning says, how can people walking around fortified walls bring walls down? It makes no sense. If our focus is on human reasoning and logic, we can school ourselves right out of faith. If we're looking at something just logically, not knowing that God will perform His Word, even if it's illogical, then logic and reasoning, if we focus on it, will stop our faith from being effective. And those walls won't come down. But even though we understand we have to navigate through this life with reason, Logic, we understand that. But my point is this. It may be logical that those walls are fortified. It may be logical that the enemy is great and we probably can't handle it on our own. But even though it may look illogical, if God says if you walk around those walls one time a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day and shout and blow the shofar when I tell you to those walls will come down. That may seem illogical to man, but you know what? Not to God. And if you believe, and you act upon it, you'll get exactly what he said. Those walls will come down, and all the blessings of God are there for you to have. And then what about this? If the focus is on number two, what is seen, what we see, then you know what? Our faith is not going to be effective. Because the things that we see will school us right out of faith. Think about David standing before Goliath. Think about the giants in the promised land. What they saw. They saw the giants. David saw the giant. If you go by sight, if you go by what you see, and you see a mighty warrior or warriors, you see them well trained and schooled in fighting, and a young boy who's 15 years old, who's never been challenged when it comes to fighting, as far as man's warfare. But he did overcome a lion. He did overcome a bear. How? By the power of God. I'll tell you what, he learned how to tap into the power of God by faith. His focus was not on what he saw. And if you think about the words of Goliath, who spewed out venom against David, it was all about who he was, what he could do, his strength, his ability, his power, his might, his weaponry. But guess what? When he got done spewing all that out, David wasn't concerned about what he saw, a giant who was in front of him. Now, logically speaking, the same thing is true. Saul, King Saul said, you're just a boy. You can't fight this guy. And David said, my focus is not on me or my strength or my armor or my ability. My focus is on who God is. And he will deliver him into my hand. David's faith did not fail. But if we go by sight, then what we see can keep us out of our promised land and our blessings. Number three, once again, if our focus is on feelings of guilt, condemnation, inferiority, sin consciousness, all those things, if that's what we focus on, will prevent us from using our faith to receive from God. We've all made mistakes in the past. We've all done things that are wrong. There's not one person who could possibly say, I lived a perfect life ever since I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I want you to know something. The enemy will take everything you or I have ever done wrong and use it against us to make us feel guilty and to absolutely destroy our faith, to paralyze our faith, to debilitate our faith and prevent it from being effective to receive from God Or enforce our victory that we have in Christ. And so if our focus is just going to be on our past mistakes. What we did wrong yesterday. What we did wrong an hour ago. What we did wrong when you got out of bed in the morning. Anything and everything he'll use against us. That should be in the sea of forgetfulness. To make us think that we're not worthy enough to operate in faith. So, number one. Human reasoning. Number two. Number two what we see, number three, feelings of guilt will prevent us from being effective in our faith life. And then number four, negative advice. Negative advice. If our focus is on what other people say, for example, the ten spies that came back after they spied out the Promised Land in Kadesh Barnea, they came back with a report saying, um, let's see, let's evaluate this whole situation. There's fortified walls... There's giants in the land. Yeah, it does flow with milk and honey. There's a lot of good about it. But you know what? It's an impossibility for us to do it because, look, here's our council. We're the leaders. We give you our advice. Our advice is we're grasshoppers. They're giants. We're not going forward. We're stopping right here. You know what? If that's how we see our future, that we can't go forward because of what's happened is like a giant to us, then we won't go forward. But when we see, praise God, that there's someone bigger than our past, someone greater than what we're going through and what we're facing, and we look to Him and appeal to Him and trust Him, there's nothing that can stop us ever at all. So if you focus on the bad advice and counsel that people give like they did, you're not going to get in. But if you focus on the right thing, The magnitude of the greatness of Almighty God, no matter what it is, guess what? He'll see us through. And then the next one. How about this? Satan's strategies. Do we not think that he has wiles? Those are strategies designed. Why? To target every one of us. doesn't matter who we are. Anyone that makes a decision to walk by faith and live by faith, act upon the Word of God, as Jesus taught in Mark four, Matthew thirteen, and Luke eight, when he talked about the sermon, or the, the parable of the sower and the seed, the first thing that happens when the seed of God's word is planted within the heart of any human being, immediately comes the devil. <clears throat> immediately, why? To steal the word that's in the heart. Why? If you can get it in its seed form. You can stop it from growing and being productive and effective and bearing great fruit. You know, recently, Dante and I had some um, challenges with a little seed. That little seed that went into the ground and provided for us five beautiful pear trees, pear, flowering pear trees in our backyard on a hill. And if you recall, when we had the ice storm not too long ago, we lost four of those trees with the ice was so heavy and the leaves cracked them in half. And so we had four of them lost. And this year, we made a decision that we were going to dig up the roots and get those trees out. The first three weren't as bad as the last one. Now, can you imagine this? A little seed like that sown into the ground. You water it day and night. The sun shines. The thing grows up into a tree. They're about 20 feet tall. But the root system on this last tree took us three times as much to get that one thing out. Those roots were so big and then they were layered upon shale, underneath the shale and all that. And I've never seen Dante work so hard in... Getting those roots out of there. And I thank God for his youth and strength. Praise God. And help. But we finally did get it out. My point is this. It starts small. small, Little seed. He knows. The enemy knows. If it stays in the ground. If it stays in the heart. And it's watered. And kept there. It'll grow. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of your faith. He's afraid of our faith. He doesn't want our faith to grow. And for that reason, he'll attack it, first of all, in its most vulnerable position when it's first sown into the heart of a person. So if you hear the seed of God's word on salvation, he'll come along and try to steal it. I remember telling somebody about being born again and immediately someone came along and just said, "Uh, he's some kind of crazy Jesus freak and all that you don't need all that just be good and you'll make heaven what a lie he bought it though and didn't accept Christ as a savior I remember telling people about healing that God is a healer read the gospels he's healed everyone that ever came to him not one person that he turned away and you know what after they heard the message and some sitting some time under this ministry they were attacked in their physical bodies and said I was never attacked like this until I started hearing the word that says I'm healed well, immediately comes the devil. Why? He doesn't want that seed to grow like that root system of that tree that we just took out. He doesn't want that. Because you see, when you dig those roots deep into the heart of God, and you know his love for you, his care for you, his concern for you, and the provision that he's provided for all of us, strong faith means his work is going to be defeated. doesn't like it. So he'll come, he'll attack your faith for that very reason. So whatever his while may be, it's important to realize what he did to Eve, he'll do to you. Get your focus off the word that God said, and get your focus on something that's more appealing to you in the flesh and inviting. Now notice this one: worldly pursuits. In that same story, that same parable that Jesus talked about, he'll use also this—not just persecution and affliction, but the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. So in other words, he'll use everything in this world around us to make it all very appealing to us, to gravitate toward that so that the word does not find its lodging in our hearts and grow into the strong tree. So it's important to recognize that these are some of the things that the enemy wants want us to focus on. All these other things are more important than getting a hold of the word of God and living it in your life. So whatever it is in the world that he causes you to focus on, remember, it's an attack of the enemy against your faith. And then also, what about our emotional feelings? How many times in Scripture are we told, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? Fear and faith can't live in the same heart. Remember, every let's say every day we can face fear in our lives. Scripture gives us over three hundred and sixty-five verses of Scripture that tell us not to fear, and why not to fear? Why so many? Three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. Every single day. We could pull up one scripture at least, Isaiah forty one ten, for example, and say what? Fear not, because I am the great I am with you. Be not dismayed, discouraged, downtrodden, disheartened. I am the great I am, your God. Yea, I will strengthen you if you need strength. Yea, I will help you if you need help. And I will uphold you with my right hand. Can you imagine if the right hand of Almighty God is upholding you, what could be done? So he says, what are you afraid of? You should be fearing God, not man, not the devil, not the world, not the flesh. Fear God, nothing else. Don't let your emotions, in other words, dictate to your life. David once said, I've got to be weaned from my emotions. And it's a process. Like a child is weaned from its mother, we must be weaned from our emotions. And you know what? That has a lot to do with spiritual growth and development. You don't realize where you're at spiritually until you're back into a corner and you realize when your emotions kick in and they take over, you'll find out exactly where you're at spiritually. We can't allow them to dictate to our lives because nothing good will come out of it. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23... Our focus should be on that God is faithful. And we should anchor our soul, which comprises the mind, will, emotions, and intellect, on the word of God, which is the anchor for our soul. Look at this verse. Let us hold fast the profession of our what? Faith. Without what? Wavering, as James said. Why? Why? Because faithful is he that promised. He that promised is faithful. God is faithful. He will never allow his word to return to him void. It will accomplish what he pleases and prosper in the thing where to he sent it. So this is so important for us to recognize that a time like this, that we cannot focus on what the media is saying. We can't focus on what's happening with others. A thousand will fall at your side. 10,000 at your right hand. But it will not come nigh unto you. Why? His angels have charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They'll bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. You'll tread upon the lion and the adder. Young lion and dragon you'll trample beneath your feet. And because you set your love upon him, he will deliver you. Those are the words that produce faith within our hearts that enable us to rise up above whatever we face, whatever challenge that we're going through in life, believing that God is trustworthy and faithful and he'll see us through to victory. Amen. Now, those are some of the distracting things. The focus on the wrong thing will debilitate a person's faith. Now, I want to share with you in our conclusion how faith grows. You know, many don't understand this, and I don't know why, since it's Scripture. And if you're really a a student of the Word of God, you should know this to be true because these handpicked situations that are biblical by the Holy Spirit are given for you and for me to have faith, to grow in our faith, in a living God that we can trust. So, we have a revelation in the Scriptures that teach us faith has levels and faith can grow. So let's start with this. Look at a book of Mark chapter 4, and I want you to notice this. Jesus actually said there are characteristics of no faith. If I'm going to have faith, my focus must be on something positive, And that is, God can't lie. He swore by an oath that anchors my soul, uh, it must be true. But I'm going to be challenged along the way to distrust God, not believe in Him, and through unbelief kept out of my promised land. i got to make a decision to recognize the fact I'm not going to have perfect faith or great faith if I don't understand the process, because our faith can grow. Look at these ver- these verses right here. The storm took place. There arose a great storm of wind. The waves beat, to the- beat into the ship. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so, what, fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Notice, no faith. And they feared exceedingly, and said, What? One to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice the characteristics of no faith. They had no faith according to Jesus. And what are they? Number one, you don't care that I'm perishing. You don't care. You don't care. And number two, I'm dying here. You don't care. About the situation at hand. What was their focus? I'm not saying it's illogical. And I'm not saying it's unreasonable. Their focus was on waters coming into the boat. That's logical. The storm is not ceasing. They're skilled fishermen and sailors. Master, we are going to die. Now could it be that he was asleep really? It says he was asleep. I have to believe he was asleep. Or was he just faking it to see what they would do? he might have been just lying there thinking, I want to see how nervous they get. Whatever the case may be, he was asleep. They wake him up. And two things they spew out of their mouths. You don't care, number one. And we're going under, number two. So when we have that kind of a mindset, and that's our focus, God doesn't care about what I'm going through, and I'm going under. Jesus defines that as no faith whatsoever. How is it that you have no faith? So if you ever hear yourself say those words to the Lord, then think about it. That's a manifestation of no faith. God does care. He cares about what we're going through, and he's always ready there to help us. Number two, we graduate from no faith to little faith. And we find this in Matthew 14. Look at verses 28 to 31. We're not going to read the whole story. But here's Peter walking out on the water. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when, Jesus saw, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, What great faith you have, Peter, walking on the water. No, he didn't say that, did he? Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Notice here, he graduates from, he was in the other boat. No faith to little faith. What is little faith? It steps out on the water of God's Word with nothing beneath you but His everlasting arms. He stepped out. He set in motion a miracle. The laws that are supernatural were in place. He's walking on water. But all of a sudden, a distraction comes. You see, little faith begins the miracle... But because of the distractions that are around, and trust me, they're reasonable he's walking out there with who knows how many feet the swells were 20, 25 feet swells? And the water's just beating on him, and he realizes, "Oh my goodness, what am I doing? Haven't we all been there? We got out of the comfort of our boat of reason, stepped out into the water of faith. We begin walking for a moment in faith, and then we're slammed with it hasn't happened immediately. And all of a sudden, we abort the faith project. Or we become doubtful. So little faith sets the thing in motion. But it doesn't see it through to consummation. See, that's why it's faith and patience to inherit the promise. Our focus has got to stay on the Word. His focus left the Word. And his focus went over to the circumstances. And now the circumstances, very real as they are, took over his heart. Fear set in. And fear and faith can't live in the same heart. As a result, he began to sink. But aren't you glad that we have a great teacher and helper along the way? When he cried out to Jesus and said, you've got to help me here, Jesus helped him. But he did give him the truth. He said, look, Peter, you've got little faith. That was little faith. Now, in our book, walking on water would be great faith in my mind and my estimation. But the way God saw it was, You didn't consummate the process, so therefore that's little faith. But, once again, he grew from no faith to little faith, and we can do the same thing. So, little faith focuses on God's word, but doesn't get the job done. Gets distracted by the circumstances. When the focus shifts, it's important to remember this. Get your focus back aligned with the word of God, and stay there, no matter what. And what's the remedy? It's very simple. Hebrews 6, 12, we saw it. Through faith and patience. Patience means this. Not a waiting game, but the ability to stay constant, focused on the word until the process is consummated. That is called patience. No matter what, the wind, the waves, the sea, feelings, emotions, or whatever coming against us, stay focused on the word and stay patient, constant, consistent, And don't be moved by anything else. As a result, praise God, you'll see it through the consummation. The third level is called great faith. And we find this in Matthew chapter 8. And this is the Romans in turn that we talked about a little bit earlier. But here we have great faith. Matthew 8 and look at verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Here's Jesus marveling at a Roman centurion who really had no basis for faith because he doesn't have a covenant with God like the Israelites did. But he said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Once again, the Israelites had a means by which to have great faith. They had a relationship with God over the years. They could go back in their history They could see how God brought them out of Egypt. They could see all the signs and the wonders. They could see their trek through the wilderness. They could see a cloud by day, a fire by night. They could see the hand of God upon them to deliver them from the Egyptians. They could watch the Red Sea part. They could see water that was bitter or poison becoming pure when a tree was thrown in, which represented the cross of Christ. And the list goes on and on and on and on. They had reasons to have great faith, but they didn't have it. This Romans in turn comes along, and these are the characteristics of great faith. Great faith understands authority. He said, look, you don't got to come to my house. I don't need you to come and baby me. Don't need that. Speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And he told him why. I'm a man under authority, and I've got soldiers under me. I do what I'm told, and nothing else. They do what they're told. If I say to this man, go, he goes. If I say, come, comes. If I say, do this, he does it. Why? I've got authority. All I need from you is a word. Give the word. You've got authority. Give the word. My servant will be healed. Period. Jesus marveled. I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. Be it unto you. As you just said it. That's great faith. Then don't forget... In, in Matthew 15, look at these two verses, this this woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman. Once again, not an Israelite, no basis for faith. And Jesus made that clear to her in this story. Um, when talking to her and she wanted help, he said, look, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not you. You're a Canaanite woman. And she said, when he said to her, It's not right for me to give the children's bread that belong to them, to dogs like you. And she says these words in verse 27. Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In other words, I don't want their loaf of bread. All I want is a crumb. Because you see, in that crumb, there's every ingredient That's in that whole loaf. Dogs can eat a crumb. They have that right. I may not have a right to all the covenant. All that you provided for them. But I know this. As a human being. I have the right of a dog. Give me a crumb. I'll be satisfied. When Jesus heard that. Verse 28. He answered and said to her. "O woman. Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, now notice this, even as you will, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. If you go to Mark's rendition of this, you know what Mark's, he, he, Jesus said to Mark, according to Mark, Mark heard this, woman, for that saying, the devil's gone out of your daughter. Can you imagine that? Imagine the terror. Imagine the day by day challenge of a child that's demon possessed. What that mother had to go through. All she had to do, humble herself, worship Jesus. And when he even challenged her heart attitude, she responded with humility and said, just give me a crumb. I'll be satisfied. For that saying, woman, great is your faith. The devil's gone out of your daughter. And all the torture that she had gone through all her life is over now with her daughter. And when she went back home, her daughter came out to greet her. With open arms and a sane mind. We can only imagine the reunion that was. Imagine it. But that's great faith. It understands authority. It understands the power of the spoken word. Just like David who stood before Goliath and said, This day my God will deliver you into my hand. That's faith. Our faith is in God. Notice the focus of David. His faith was in God. Every word out of his mouth was, You come against me with a sword, a shield, and a spear. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Notice Saul's language. Focus on what Saul focused on. I'll give you my armor that will help you overcome, I hope. No, I haven't tried that. Think about what Goliath said. I'm a strong warrior. His focus was on his own abilities. David says to Saul, the God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this giant. David said to Goliath, when you're done talking, give me my my peace. Okay, let me say what I want to say. Goliath got done. David said, my God will deliver me out of your hands and you into my hands and with your spear, I will cut off your head by the power of my God. Notice the focus. Faith doesn't focus on reason. It focuses on what God said. And when we know what God said, we can bank on it. We can trust him if you know he's faithful to his promise. And that's exactly what great faith is. But you know what? There's this last thing, and it's called perfect faith. And I want you to turn with me in the book of James, chapter 2, because here is where we have a revelation of what perfect Perfect meaning mature. It is matured to a state of perfection. This is called perfect faith. Okay? James chapter 2, verse 18. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Or, you could say corresponding actions. You believe that there is one God, and you do well. The devils also believe and they tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without corresponding actions is dead, dormant, inactive, inoperative? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered, notice what he uses, offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made what? Perfect. We have a revelation of perfect faith. Let's read over here in the book of Genesis, in chapter 22, because here we have a revelation of the characteristics of perfect faith. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. This is the place that God said, "Go offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice for me." Abraham said unto his young men, "Notice what he said. Abide you here with the ass, and I will, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship." Notice this, and come again to you. Wait a minute, Abraham. You're going up there to offer up your son. You're going to kill him. How are you both coming back? How? Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 11. And it explains how. By faith, perfect faith, mind you. Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence, and here it is, also he received him in a figure. And all that means is this, it's very simple. It took him a little while to get it through his head. God said, I'm going to have children through Isaac. God said, offer up Isaac on the altar, sacrifice, kill him. He placed one statement beside the other statement. If we focus on reason, as natural human beings, when you're dead, you're dead. And that's all there is to it. But he went back and forth and saw through, through meditation, received him in a figure. I see it now. God can't lie and said, I will have children through Isaac. His seed will bring in the Messiah. He said that offer him up as a sacrifice. That means if I do, he must raise him from the dead. Something he never saw in his lifetime ever happen. So he goes up to Mount Moriah. Where he's going to offer him up as a sacrifice. And he says to his servants there. Stay here. I and the lad are going to go up there and worship. And we will return to you. Believing that God had to. Not might. Not maybe so. I saw... A film one time on this. And it showed Abraham at the bottom of a mountain. Crying his eyes out. Shaking his fist at God saying. Why do you want me to do this? Why do you want me? Come on. That's not how it happened. He said look boy stay here. We're going to go up. I'm going to kill him and we're coming back. That's the truth. And guess what? That's what happened. He didn't kill him. He was stopped before. He did. But God said look. I I know I can trust you now. I know what's in your heart now. What does perfect faith say? And no, perfect faith says this. I see it done before it happens. I've walked with God enough to see that it has to be that way because it can't be any other way. I see it done. Perfect faith sees it done before it happens. You see, if you really have perfect faith, truly mature faith, I believe I receive it. I see it done. I have it right now, so forget it. Am I going to get it? That's not perfect faith. You got it. If you ask for it, You received it, you have it, it's perfect faith. So, perfect faith sees it done before it ever happens. And that's the place that we all want to get to. Why? Because it's all been done for us in Christ. We're trying to get something that we already have, and that's where the problem lies. We're trying to get healed when he says you are healed. We're trying to get protected when he says you are protected. Why don't you just use your faith and start believing that when he says my angels have charge over you, they do. Then, Then get up every morning and just say they're around me. He made it easy, we make it hard. Why? Because our focus is not on what God said. Our focus is on human reasoning, what we see, how we feel, and the list goes on and on. It's time to rise up, saints, church. It's time to believe that God meant what he said and said what he meant. It's up to us to recognize Satan wants to sift us. Sift up means put you through the strainer to divide the good from the bad to see if your faith is genuine or your faith is fictitious. You're echoing somebody else's faith. How do we get that kind of faith? Get alone with God. Find out what he said. See his heart. Look at Jesus. Know how much he loves you and cares about you. Be aware of all the other focuses we talked about and recognize you can't be overcome by them. Put your focus on the living God. Amen.